Hey, everybody. Hey. Man, what a sweet time to worship, to be together. Um, my name is Jeff, uh, and uh, I'm, so, I'm so happy, so honored to be here with you all. Uh, Corey and I are, are real close. We actually were next-door neighbors for four years. Uh, like, we literally shared a fence and had a bridge that went over it. And so, yeah, so Corey and I are really close. have been good buddies. And as we started talking about what we wanted to walk through, um, we just kind of, you know, like when you come to these things, like, okay, what's the theme? And like, what's the rhythm? And like, where do you want to go? And where do we want to take them? Where do we land them? And we were like, nah, we just didn't feel that. Honestly, just didn't feel that. And so here's what we decided, is that we're, we're one of you. I've been a pastor for 23 years. Corey's been doing ministry a long time, and we're one of you. And I don't know about you, but our souls, it's like something's going on, and we've been hurting, lots of questions, lots of like, and so we were like, I just feel like that for both Corey and I, the Psalms have been ministering to us over these last two years, like in a way that's really radical. And so we just like, let's just pick the Psalms that for us in particular have really challenged us, have really ministered to us, and allowed us to kind of give a selah. You know, all throughout the Psalms, there's this like, <gasps> you know, it's like moment where your soul's just like, I need a little bit of that. And so we're just going to take you through some psalms. We're going to learn some stuff. We're going to have um, some different rhythms in the way that we're going to do that. Um, but really, we just want to take you through the psalms. So I'm going to be in Psalms 23. But before we do that, uh, if you have a smartphone or like a journal of some sort, why don't you crack that out? A, a smartphone, a journal. And this is what I need you to do. Uh, at the top of your journal or at the top of your notes in your iPhone. And if you need a piece of paper, just raise your hand. We have some extra in the back with some pencils. So if you don't have that, we have that for you. Just raise your hand. Somebody will take it to you. I want you to write in all caps at the very top, as big as you can. Um, if you're on your phone, then just type it. Uh, I am. Okay, I just want you to do I am. And then I want you to just create some spaces. And then I want you to write you are. Okay, I am. And then you are. So go ahead and do that real quick. I am in big, bold letters. And you are, if you need some paper or pencils, Corey's got you. Okay, here's what I'd like you, for you to do with that particular thing. At the, t at, at the part where it says, I am, I want you to attribute a, an emotion, a feeling that you have, maybe a way that you feel right now. So it could be something like this. I'm tired. I am tired, or I am worn out, or it could be like, I'm stoked, you know, or like, you know, I want you to write some type, and then if you could just kind of give a, just a quick little, and this is why, okay? And then when you get to the you are, you're going to give me an attribute of God. Uh, you are my shelter. You are my strength. You are my high tower, okay? So I am, that's a little bit of how you're feeling right now in this moment. Be honest. This is like soul talk stuff, Okay? I am, and then you're going to do you are, and you're going to kind of talk to yourself using an attribute of God, like you are, and then maybe just journal out just a little bit about those two things. I'm going to give you five minutes uh, to do that. Maybe we can get a little soft song going in the back and get that going, but you have five minutes. I am, just do an emotion, do a little journal, small. You are, something, an attribute, attribute of God, and then just do a little journal, and then we'll come back out. Sound good? Five minutes. Close your eyes a little bit. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pasture and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall live in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, This month is a significant month for me. Two years ago, I called Corey back there. And I said, hey man, I just went to the doctor. I'm one of those guys, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm one of those people who just don't go to the doctor. Like, so I hadn't been to the doctor in 10 years. Not because I'm like afraid to go to the doctor, because I just find it incredibly inconvenient, okay? Like going to the dentist, things like that, okay? So I'm one of those people. So I hadn't gone to the doctor in 10 years. I've been going to counseling for three and a half years, and my counselor was like, how are you caring for yourself? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. And so he's like, when's the last time you were at the doctor? And I was like, 10 years ago. He's like, let's just start there. So... Two years ago, I called Corey after going back to the doctor twice because they found some stuff, and I said, hey, man, they just gave me a pre-diagnosis for cancer, and I haven't even told my wife. And so if you could just pray for me, I don't know what this means, and I don't know what's up, but if you would just pray for me. So... So another week goes by, I did finally tell my wife. I didn't, I, I actually booked the appointment with the oncologist without telling my wife uh, because I'm that healthy. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, and she was like, wait, what, huh? Where, where is this? And I was like, oh, it's at, uh, you know, it's at this cancer hospital. And she's like, wait, what, why are you going there? I was like, I don't know. They want to look over some stuff. So we go sit down with the oncologist and he says, uh, I have a question for you. He said, how long have you been anxious? And I'm like, I'm not anxious. I'm like, I'm not anxious. And he's like, no, 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 I'm serious. Like, how long have you been anxious? And I'm like, dude, I'm the guy. I don't know about you, but I'm like the person who wakes up in the morning like, yeah, this is gonna be the greatest day ever. Like, I, seriously, that's how I wake up. I'm one of those annoying morning people. I get up at like 5.30, make a cup of coffee. I'm stoked to be alive. Like, I'm that guy. I'm that annoying person. You're like, turn him off, please, okay? So I, I don't, I don't feel anxious. I don't, I, I, I like have gone through life. Even stressful situations, I just kind of go through that. Been through a lot in my life. And so I was like, doc, I, I'm not your guy. Like I don't have anxious. So he said, well, it's, it's interesting because uh, the cancer you have, which is called polycythemia, is triggered by high levels of anxiety over a long period of time. And so here's what I need to tell you. You've been anxious at a toxic level for a very, very long very long time, and your body's finally just given up. So I walk out of that so confused, because I don't feel that way. Like, I don't, I don't feel anxious. I don't feel overwhelmed. I don't feel stressed out. But somehow, my body's reacting to this. And so I went through a season of about three weeks where they're deciding what version of this I have, the very bad version or the bad version. And they have to do a litany of blood tests. And I start doing these soul-searching kind of moments that you have when you're going through stuff. And I realize something. I never really asked God for help. I've been surviving my whole life. My mom left when I was 12. 
had an affair with my dad's best friend. I got, went, to, went to Moody Bible Institute. I got married at 21, had a baby at 22, hit the ground running in ministry as a youth ministry major, right? Because I didn't have to take Greek and Hebrew, and that's a true story. Um, and just started right into ministry. And then we had our second kid and just started blazing and then moved from Chicago down to Arizona and started a ministry there and then started uh, being a pastor at a large church and speaking all over the country, right? And then starting nonprofits. And, and then in the middle of starting nonprofits, my son gets diagnosed with leukemia. So fighting leukemia, being chairman on the board for other organizations and continuing to speak all over the place and then had to shut that nonprofit down. And, and then we adopted our daughter while our son was still going through treatment when she was four years old. And so, so we do that. And then I start working for corporate America, doing a white collar job, traveling around the country, putting on shows for Land Rover and BMW, right? So I'm doing that. And, and then that didn't work out. So I go back into ministry, moved to California five years ago, and all of a sudden, I find myself in this doctor's office like, what is going on? I've been surviving for so long, my soul didn't know what to do, and my body finally caught up with it. So on December 31st, 2019, I sit in this doctor's office for him to tell me what version of this thing I have. And he said, we don't know how to tell you this, but you're cancer-free. And so I'm... I, we leave that day, and I tell my wife, we need to go away right now, because God's been trying to get my attention for a long time, and I haven't been listening, and I don't know if you feel like me sometimes. I don't know if you feel like your soul, like all of a sudden starts to wake up at certain moments, and then all of a sudden you just keep surviving and surviving and surviving and going, and then all of a sudden you realize something's wrong, and then you're like, I can't deal with it, and I survive, and I survive. I've been surviving my whole life. And I've been doing people, I are doing things for people, serving the Lord to the best of my ability, as hard as I could, sacrificing everything to try to do a good work, right? I only have two people I've ever really wanted to please, and it was my Father and God. And it just seemed like year after year, like it was never enough, and it finally caught up with me. So two years ago, God in his grace and his mercy opened my eyes to a wound that I had. And it was this, that peace is not found in a position. Peace is not found in a pay raise or in a place. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. I have been trying to find peace my whole life. And I just, if I just got that next position, if I just got that next raise, if they just put me on the executive team, if they just gave me enough money, if they just moved me to this place, or I just went to this other location, right, because this place didn't work out, so I'm going to go to this place, going from church to church, three years, ten years at this church, four years at the next, and moving on and on, and never truly ever taking a break to realize it was never about any of those things. And I'm missing the presence of the living God in my life in pursuit of all these things. This is what this psalm is bringing to us. This is what this psalm is trying to help us do. And I don't know if you're like me, but I move past verse 1 really quick to get into the goodie bag. 
You know, the goodie bag of the Psalms, like, Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, but give me the good stuff where I get out of the valley, and I'm in green pastures, my soul, and right, banquet table. Give it all to me. Like, surely goodness and mercy shall, yes, all of it. But I skip past verse one. Why do we move past verse one so fast? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, this idea of Jesus being the good shepherd is, it was so precious to the early Christians. In fact, they, they found there was, this was the most common motif that you saw in the catacomb drawing. And what it was, was Jesus holding a lamb on its shoulders. It was the most common thing that they found in all of these catacomb paintings because it was, there was something enduring about it. There's a reason why generation after generation, this psalm speaks to people. But why is it that we know this psalm so well? We can quote it, it it's taught here and there, and yet for some reason our souls still don't understand it. Our souls aren't still at rest in it, aren't living into it. And I don't know about you, but when I started really starting to slow down in verse 1, and I didn't go any farther, it's just going, I, we have a problem. Because I don't know if I understand him in my, as my shepherd, and I can promise you, I have a lot of want. So I have no idea what to do with the rest of this psalm, because it hinges on this verse. And I love what David does as he's kind of working through this. He starts off with this idea as the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. It doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd. It's my, it's personal. It's my, he's my shelter. There's a, rel, a shepherd, there's a relationship there. You can almost hear it in most of the Davidic Psalms where he's just, you're my Lord, you're my shepherd. I remember when we first start, it started the process of adopting our daughter. I was like, uh, we, didn't take, we didn't like drop her off into uh, church. You know, we would bring her to church, but we wouldn't drop her off in the kids' areas because she's just four years old, really hurt, really exhausted, so confused. She'd gone from her parents to her uh, foster parents for two years, and now she's with us. So she's like, what's going on? And so we just tried to keep her near. And so I would hold her during church, and I would just hold her, and she would take her face as a four-year-old girl, and she would jam it against my cheek during worship. She would, like, put her face against my mouth as I was singing the songs, and I would hold her, and I would sing over her, and then she would fall asleep. And I remember this one time, I was holding her and singing to her and realizing that she is my daughter, and that, what was overwhelming about that is that, that I also, in the midst of singing this, the Spirit of God came over me and said, this is, this is what I'm doing for you, that I've adopted you into my family, and you are my son. And I just fell apart. I, fell, I felt it. I, here's this hurting little one, and she's so confused, and I'm holding her like it's safe. It's okay. I'm singing these words over here. She doesn't understand, but she can feel them through my mouth. 
can feel the intention of my heart. She falls asleep and the Lord's like, can you not receive this? That this is how I love you, how I hold you, that I am your God, your father. I've adopted you into my family. This is the kind of love and commitment that David is just rejoicing in, declaring and inviting us into my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And so I, I really started going like, if I know that to be true, why is it that I resist it? It's because a lot of time, instead of personalizing him as my savior, I make him like this personal problem solver. Like, you just need to do this. You just need to do this. If you could just do this and just fix this and just get after this and get me this position and get me this pays rage and make sure I get this kind of home and make sure I have safety here and make sure that I'm healthy over. He's just this problem solver, but he's not this personal savior. He's just this guy, this genie in a bottle that fixes all my problems. And by the way, when he does a good job, I love him. And when he doesn't, I, cur- I, I shake my fist to the heaven and say, how dare you? And so we have to be bringing ourselves into some level of where am I at as it relates to this personal Savior, this personal relationship with Jesus. I read this book. uh, It was out of John 15. It's by a man named Andrew Murray. And the book was called, it's called Abide, Abide in Christ. The whole passage is abiding. And and he has this quote, and it says this, and this is so important. I'll probably botch the quote, but I'll try my best. It says, abiding in Christ is meant for the weak and feeble and is so rightly suited for them. It's not the bringing of something strong before a mighty God, but simply submitting oneself to the one who's strong. And that resonated in my heart. He wants us broken and busted up. He wants us to fall apart in our Father's arms and go, you're my daddy. You're my shepherd and you leave me and you love me. And finding our peace and our rest in that moment. But so often, we're looking for the benefits rather than being with. Because here's what following Jesus cost me. It almost cost me my relationship with him. You know why? Because he doesn't want me to follow him. He wants me to abide in him. That's consummation talk. That's union talk. That's branch, vine, fruit talk. Not just following around going, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. No, you're my shepherd. You're my father. And we are connected as one. And when we do that, we produce fruit over and over. Joy, right? Mercy. We live it out into the world, into the places that we're called to. This is why it's so important for us to slow down in this psalm and go, are, am I living like you are my shepherd? And it's that personal and it's that near that you have felt it. Because here's what I think so often is that we have kept God at a distance. See, here's the interesting thing about what a lot of us are doing. We're good at preaching this stuff, aren't we? We can get up and we can proclaim it to a bunch of students, can't we? About how great he is and how loving he is and how kind it is and how there's nothing better in the world than loving Jesus and living for him, and yet we're not. But can we just get honest about that? Can we stop faking it and just be real and say, 
I'm not here yet, but I'm working on it. And I'm being honest with it. And in those times with the Lord that you just go, I want to believe this with all my heart, but something's stopping me and I just need to get honest about it. That's what we're hoping that this week is for you. A time for you to get honest. A time to stop faking it. Jesus helps us. He's going like, listen, don't be like the hypocrites. Literally, don't be like the actors. Stop acting. Stop pretending. Let's get honest. Let's get real because your soul knows it. Your soul knows it. He is your shepherd. And I think we believe that. But is it impacting the way we live our lives? Is it impacting the way that we're producing fruit? Or we're just trying to go like genie in a bottle, figure this whole thing out for me and make my life better and more, uh, 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 take away the pain, take away the hurt. Instead of just going, I just, need, I just need you. You are my shepherd. I love this quote from Spurgeon. He says this. Before any man can truly say the Lord is my shepherd, he must first feel himself to be a sheep by nature. For he cannot know that God is his shepherd unless he feels in himself that he has the nature of a sheep. He must relate to a sheep in its foolishness its dependency, and its warped nature of its will. It's this moment to go like this. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay. Weakness is the new strength. It's super sexy. So just be weak. Like, we love to preach this stuff. Listen, when you're weak, you're strong. But do we live this way? Are we posturing our hearts and our souls and our minds in the way we lead our teams and lead our students to go, I don't have this all figured out. Lead in that way. It's a beautiful thing. Be a broken, helpless sheep in the midst of it. And you'll start to learn how precious a shepherd is when you start identifying as a broken sheep. It really will help us. Because my acceptance of acceptance of God as my as our, my acceptance of Him as my shepherd impacts the whole. Meaning this, when I truly start to understand that He is my shepherd, it affects all of us. It's not just about you. See, in the West, we always think it's about this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we disembody ourselves from the body as a whole. No, no, no. What we do with the shepherd, what we do to receive care, impacts the whole, impacts your youth ministry. The way you love Jesus will impact the way you lead. So the more you can understand and identify with him as your shepherd, it will make the difference. It will be the greatest leadership decision you ever make. It's just slowing down enough and going, I need you, I'm broken, I don't have it figured out, and your students will see that. They will feel that. They will know. Your volunteers, your pastors, your senior pastors, you could be a beautiful example of brokenness to your senior leadership. It'd be awesome. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do. Student ministry has changed dramatically over the last two years. All the strategies, yeah, okay, let's figure it out, right? You can read, you're writing books about this, right? They're, they're doing podcasts, everyone's trying to figure it out, like how do we do all these things? And it's so confusing and everybody wants to have a strategy and be strong and the Lord's like, stop it, 
Just be weak. Just confess that you don't know what to do and that you need me. Now we can get to work. Now we can do the work of the business, work of the Lord. This is what he's inviting you into. This is what this passage is talking about. David's like, dude, I'm on the shoulders of the shepherd. I'm on it. Come up here with me. Come join me up here on the shoulders. Because his burden is light. And give rest for your souls up there. He's got you. He sees you. He loves you. And this is how he transitions to say, I shall not want. Can you almost hear like he's standing before and he's going, I shall not want because I feel that I, I need him and he's leading me and he's caring for me like a deer that pants for the water so my soul longs for him. Like a dying deer running through the forest. I need you, right? And you can only see, as I have found him as my shepherd, what else do I need? Life is great. I will have no need because he is with me. He sees me, loves me, cares for me, nurtures me. Have you, have you ever gone to Costco and convinced yourself you were only going to buy one thing? You're a liar. You know you're not going to do that. Because you walk into Costco and you all of a sudden get a complex, don't you? Because, all, you know, you've got Ginsu knives and 4,000 batteries for a nickel, right? And all the, I didn't know I needed 1,000, you know, oranges, but I do, right? And I, you know, I just went in for butter, but I got 60 sticks of butter. I didn't need that much, but I guess I did, right? Your bill is like $1,000 and it was supposed to be 100 right? Because we walk in and there's just everything that you're like, I need all of this, right? And so we start applying that principle, spiritually speaking. We start just looking around at everything else in our world. Every podcast you're listening to is telling you what you don't have, what you're not doing. And your soul's going like, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not making a difference. I'm irrelevant. If I, was if I wasn't irrelevant, all these kids would be showing up, right? All these kids would be accepting Jesus, and the evil one is just loving this for your souls. He wants to convince you that you're not doing enough, enough that you haven't performed well enough. Instead of going, I am a son of God the Father. I am a daughter of God the Father. I have everything I need. He'll lead me. He'll guide me. He'll show me. A part of my job, this is what I get to do every single day, is I meet with pastors and staff of churches every single day. I've been a pastor for 23 years. I started an organization because the, the need for this is so vast. It's called Phoenix One. And we're just trying to help pastors and staff get care. That's it. Because we started reading through some of these statistics. I'm going to rip these off real quick but you already know them. 91% of pastors have experienced some form of burnout. 18% say they have, they're fried to a crisp. 70% of pastors say they have a lower self-esteem now than when they entered ministry. According to Lifeway and Focus on the Family, 23% per, uh, of pastors say they have experienced some kind of mental illness. 12% say they have received a diagnosis, diagnosis of mental health condition. One out of pastors Will retire, one out of 10 pastors will actually retire as pastors, and the rest will join 1,000-plus pastors who are leaving the ministry monthly. Why? Because we don't know that he's our shepherd. 
We don't believe it. And so we're constantly in want and our souls are tired. And he's trying to meet us in that place. He's trying to meet us in that moment. So the question is this, what do you really want? What do you really want? Success, influence, notoriety. You want a room full of students? Not that that's a bad thing, but is that's the driving force. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is to prove to that little insecure part of you that you matter in this world? Or maybe, just maybe, we just need to start preaching the gospel to ourselves. We need to start preaching the gospel to ourselves. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. All these things will be added unto you. What do I have to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way, his right way of living, his right way of planning, his right way of doing, his right way of living. Seek it first. And all these things will be added unto you. What a wonderful father we serve. What a glorious God that would literally say, this is how you pray. This is how you live. Preach the gospel to yourself. That you need saving. That you need help in your ministry. That you don't have it figured out. And you need him to rescue you and care for you. Shepherd you. Preach that to yourself over and over. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do. You wrote down, I am, and you are on your card. Did you do that? Okay, cool. Could you get in groups of three and four, and if you'd be so vulnerable, to just share that with somebody. Take like five minutes and share your I am. If you, if you, and if you don't want to, it's okay. But get into groups of three and four, share your I am, and share your you are, okay? Five minutes, we'll do a little soft music again. I'll come back up and I'll wrap up, okay? Five minutes, get in groups of three to four and discuss your I am and your you are. What'd you learn? What'd you learn from one another? And again, you don't have to go, she said, <laughs> you know, but, but what, did you, what did you learn as you were listening to one another about, let's start first with the I am's. What, what, what did you hear? What did you learn? Interesting. What else? It's good. Anyone relate with what he just said? Great. That's powerful. What else? What else did you hear? What else did you learn as you kind of listen to your co-laborers talk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, say who God is, even when we don't, we don't necessarily feel that. Yeah, what else? Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. So as you transitioned into you are, what did what what did you learn? What did you feel? What did you sense? Hmm. Comfort. Yeah. Hope. Yeah. Loving. Yeah. 
faithful. That he knew and he knows. Yeah, he's a good shepherd. Hmm? Yeah. You know, the whole of Psalms 23 hinges on verse 1. Because when we see him as a good shepherd uh, leading and guiding us, uh, we don't want. We don't want. Why? Well, look at what he provides to those who submit to his humble leadership. Listen to the rest of Psalms 23. Rest. He leads us. He guides us. He renews us. We don't have to be afraid. He protects us and comforts us. He anoints us. He loves us. And he is preparing a place for us. See, sometimes we're so fast skipping past the fact that he's a good shepherd that we don't want to get to the goodie bag instead of going, he's the goodie bag. (laughs) He's everything. All the other things stem from going, like that's why when we're in the valley of the shadow of death and then you're in the green pastures, the situation doesn't change the reality that he's still good. So it's not get me out of the valley into the green pasture. It's like wherever God is, that's good. He's a good shepherd. He's guiding and leading me wherever I am. It's good. That's why he puts a banquet table in front of our enemies and we're not afraid. We're like, dude, ribs are amazing. Jesus is great, right? Because our focus is right, our heart's right. We see him and we see his provision. We see the way he's caring for us. And the manifestation of this is in Jesus Christ. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. He moved into the neighborhood. He feels what you felt. He feels it. He stands right now in the heavenly realm advocating for you, intercessing for you. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows you're afraid. He knows you don't know what to do. And he goes to the Father and is like, I got you. Because I'm a good shepherd. And that's what good shepherds do. He didn't just stop his work at the cross. He continued it on into eternity today. He is praying for you right now. He is advocating for you right now. His work didn't stop at the cross to save you from your sins. It continues on today. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. It's why you can find rest for your souls. It's because he continues the work that he begun. He began here on earth. How good is he? How glorious is he? But I have to have confession to you. I set you up. I completely set you up. And I'm sorry, not sorry. What I find so interesting is we tend to always start with how we feel. God, I'm tired, but don't worry, you are this. God, I'm worn out. Oh, but I know you're this. What happens when we pull back and we go, actually, He says this about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the light of the world. I am the door uh, of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And guess what? I am the good shepherd. You are my sons and daughters. 
That's who you are. See, we start with first who God is. And that tells us who we are. And then we live out of who he is and who we are in him. But what we naturally do is we talk about ourselves first. And here's what I mean by this. Let us proclaim the gospel to ourselves. Let us preach it to ourselves, but let us not forget he is everything we need. And we need to start first with who he proclaims himself to be. He says, I am that I am. I am self-sufficient. You are the benefactor of that. The sons and daughters of the most high God, friend of God. How beautiful. How amazing to now live in that truth So yes, have your feelings, but have those feelings and those emotions in the context of who he is first. He is everything that you're, everything you hope, everything you imagine, everything you need is found in him, and he's good. Even when it's bad, he is good. When we adopted our daughter, I spent two years doing the same routine every single night. Every single night, same routine. I would go up to her bedroom, and I'd say, hey, babe, I just want you to know that I love you. And she'd go, no, you don't. And I was like, listen, how much does dad love you? How much does dad love you? I said, dad loves you this much. And I raised my hands like, it's this much. And you know, you're like, ah, you know, like that. And then she'd go, no, you don't. You love me this much. I was like, no, I love you this much. I did that for two years, every single night. And then one night, went up, and I said, hey, Mika, guess how much Dad loves you? And she goes, Dad, stop! I was like, what? She said, I love you this much. This much. What happened? Our sweet little girl, who has been hurting, beat up, abused, neglected, finally could find a place at home and know that she's a daughter and believe it. She doesn't need anybody to convince her anymore. She knows she's a part of a family that loves her. She knows that I love her. She knows that her mom loves her and her brothers love her. And I wonder for all of us if we could just pause and realize that we can find great comfort in our good shepherd, that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And we can find rest for our souls and our sonship and our daughtership and who he is as God the Father in the house, in the home of God Almighty, that he is our good shepherd. And we don't have to want anymore. She was finally safe. And I think for so many of you, and I am with you in this, I felt unsafe for so much of my life. But God woke me up, and he's waking me up. And I hope you get woke up in the right kind of way, to the understanding that he loves you, he sees you, he knows you, and you can be fully you in the presence of Almighty God because of who he is first. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this time of honesty, transparency. I was just thinking, like, as everyone's talking and discussing how how it must please you, Like for so much of our time, we hide, hide behind our religiosity, hide behind our denomination, hide behind 
our office walls, hide behind our insecurities. But tonight, you were glorified in our weakness. We can find strength in the community of believers that comes together and confesses you as Lord and Savior. The good news is that it wasn't because of anything we did. This is you. It's all about you. And so we come to you broken but strong. Bend our wounds. Lead us in the way everlasting for your glory and your honor. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, amen.